Welcome to the Raising Them Ready podcast for parents. Here we encourage and support parents who are doing the best they know how to raise their kids to become confident, capable, and kind in an ever-changing and often unpredictable world. I'm Jonathan Kathman. I'm a family man, sociologist, and best-selling author who believes our children's greatness tomorrow begins with good guidance today. One of the biggest stressors parents have about their children's overall health and development includes concerns about the quantity and quality of their kids' sleep. We all know inadequate rest can affect growth, cognitive function, mood, and behavior. So many parents lie awake at night worrying about their kid establishing healthy sleep routines, resisting bedtimes, and of course the biggest of all sleep disruptors, managing nighttime screen time. That's why I've invited my friend and fellow lecturer, Dr. Chris Winter, to join us on this episode of the Raising the Ready podcast for parents. Dr. Chris Winter is a neurologist and sleep specialist who specializes in the sleep health of both adults and children. In addition to seeing patients in his Charlottesville, Virginia sleep clinic, Dr. Winter also serves as a consultant to professional athletes and works with teams in Major League Baseball, the NFL, NBA, WNBA, NHL, the U.S. women's soccer team, and college teams nationwide to help optimize players and coaches' sleep. His experiences made him a highly sought-after speaker before private and commercial companies, the U.S. military, the FBI, and other law enforcement agencies. He's authored numerous scientific papers, abstracts, articles, and two best-selling books. It took Dr. Winter and I months to coordinate our calendars and record this podcast. And as Murphy's Law would have it, the digital gremlins were out to get us the day we recorded. Let's just say that the quality of our remote recording connection was a struggle at best. Yet whenever one can get time on Dr. Winter's schedule, you take it. So as you stick with us through the audio glitches, I guarantee you the sleep solution Dr. Winter shares and the impact they can have on the quantity and quality of your child's sleep will make the listen well worth the effort. So welcome to an awakening conversation about raising confident, capable, and kind kids who are better rested sleepers from crib to college. Dr. Winter, now, when you and I first met, we we're working in the field of assisting very high capacity people performing at their very best, myself in strengthening family resilience and you as an expert in sleep and sleep disorders. And I've got some parents I think would really benefit from a sleep 101 class. So what can you share with us that will help parents better understand how sleep works in the brain and in the development of our kids? Yeah, well, th- first of all, for having me, John, honored to be here. It's great to see you again. It's a great question. I think for a subject that we spend as much time thinking about and dwelling over, it's pretty shocking how little information gets spread about it. So I, I think to answer your question, the first thing I would start off with is it is impossible for you or your child to not sleep. Put as that, I, I think that can be incredibly thought-provoking, liberating for a lot of parents because I don't know, 50% of the kids that come to see me brought by their parents are kids that can't sleep. And that doesn't exist physiologically in this universe. We all sleep. So by simply reconfiguring your question from, I can't get my kid to sleep to, I'm not able to get my child to sleep on a schedule that works for our family or works for her you automatically bring a lot of power to the situation back to yourself and you're now approaching the topic from a very educated place. Because if it's, let's go to the pediatrician and talk because my kid my kid can't sleep, there's a very good chance that your pediatrician has had exactly as much training on sleep as you have, which is zero. Mm. 
So then it becomes, okay, well, what drug can we get them to knock them out? And, and then the whole thing just becomes off the rails because that was never the problem to begin with. I'm 50 years old. I've been in the field of sleep medicine since the early 90s. I've never seen an individual child or adult that can't sleep. Not something I anticipate ever seeing. So when our dialogues become that, number one, it sort of moves us away from something that's factual. And number two, and maybe more importantly, it puts us, it puts us in a position of fear. We're, we're responding to a situation out of anxiety, fear, dread. Oh my, oh my God, this person can't sleep and I don't know what to do. And, and I, I've heard all these bad things about what happens if you don't sleep. And so and then everything becomes extremely muddled. And I will agree with you. You know, my boys, I say, hey, you know, how'd you sleep last night? So I didn't sleep. Well, sure, they slept. They just didn't sleep like they wanted to sleep. Right, right. right. So when they are sleeping, though, what's happening in the brain of a child while they're sleeping? What's the benefits? What might our concerns be? Coach us up as parents. What's happening in our kids' heads? Countless things. It's sort of like what's happening beneficial to our children when they eat or when they breathe air. It's... It's a process that's so fundamental to life and, and performance that it almost defies explanation. So the way I like to think about it, it's a cascade of neurotransmitters that are changing when we sleep. So one of the things that people come to us all the time is, I get in bed, I can't shut my mind off. And I always tell patients, you don't want to shut your mind. Your mind is, is supposed to be, and your brain is supposed to be active when you sleep. Lots of things are happening. It's not a light switch when you walk out of the attic, you turn the light off until the next time you need to get something out of the attic. It, it's not like that. It's a fully formed process in and of itself. And so as we sleep, we are creating chemicals that lead to the production of red blood cells. We are resetting our digestive process. We're cognitively getting our brains primed for that math test we're going to take the next day. We're secreting growth hormone to make us grow and, and, and be the best version of our physical selves. And so there's healing that's happening. There's all kinds of things that are going on all while we sleep. So it's, it's, it's so important that we make that time adequate in both quantity but also in quality. So I, I like what you said to your son. It's, oh, you slept. But let's talk about why you feel like your sleep wasn't satisfactory. So as a parent, from the earliest age, you know, really when you first start communicating to your child, you're setting a tone about how they're going to relate to sleep. And I think that we're always sort of molding it, particularly in the teen years. It's, it's they're going to, all kinds of boundaries. Sleep will be one of them. And it's our job. I always think about it like a, a clay, like when you watch a sculptor, it's slowly shaping little by little and suddenly something emerges. I think that's kind of what we do with sleep. We have these little, we take these little moments to make conversations that are hopefully pushing children not only to the right behaviors about sleep, but the right attitudes and beliefs about it as well. I do hear a lot of parents say, you know, my kid doesn't like to sleep. Actually, I hear two camps. My kid doesn't like to sleep or my kid likes to sleep all the time. And I usually hear my kid doesn't like to sleep when they're young, but I hear the kid likes to sleep all the time as they enter their teen years. Is that pretty common? I think so, yeah. I think that there's definitely a fear of missing out. 
like I'm going to bed, but there's clearly activity with the older kids and the parents that are still staying up or watching television. I certainly felt that growing up. I, I remember like it was yesterday, you know, Star Wars would come on TV once a year and it would start at nine and end at 11 or 1130 or, you know, whatever. And I'd have to go to bed at 10, you know, just they're in the trash compactor and I, I got to go to bed now. Like this is crazy. I remember I would sneak down the hall and just sit listening to it or, you know, and they would get up and see me there and send me back. I remember as a child, uh, my parents let me stay up late one night and you know, I'm sitting there, you know, my, my bedtime has passed and I'm just looking at them and, and they look at me and they say, well, what are you, what, what are you thinking? I'm like, we'll, we'll do something. And they're, what do you want us to do? And I say, the important things. I assumed important things happened after I went to bed. And so I was just waiting for something important to happen. And I cued them, do the important things now. And they're like, this, this is it. This is it, Jonathan. Don't get too excited. So I have a teenager in my house who likes to nap. Now he's very active. He's in the gym two, three hours a day. He works. He's a full-time student. And I'll come out of my office and here he'll be stretched out all six foot five of him on our couch and he'll just be crashed out. He and the dog laying there for an hour, napping in the middle of the day. And I have to fight this thought in my head that, man, you're wasting your day. But according to him, and from what I read in The Rested Child, his body requires that. In fact, I think you call it a sleep snack. That kid uh -huh. can eat a lot of food, I'll tell you that much too. And then he lays down and has a sleep snack. Is that common for, for active kids or is it is it something we should be concerned about if our kids are not active? Where, where does napping fall in? I understand with children. In fact, I think most parents understand infants and young children are napping five times a day, two times a day. What about teenagers? Where, where does napping fit into the life of a teenager? Yeah, I think that fits in all over the place. And that's a time with a, there's a lot of things happening. Like you said, school going on, which is extremely stressful. And there's sort of figuring out social pieces for the first time. They don't have a curfew anymore. So there's a lot of things that are happening around that time. And I think napping is essential for a lot of reasons, but it's also can be a problem. So I've got a six foot five myself who likes to nap and, and you can just see their bodies are going through dramatic metabolic changes. I mean, I literally turn around and look back and I feel like I see like he's grown a half an inch. They're consuming a lot of food, they're in school, they're working, they're very active individuals, and they require a lot of sleep. There are some kids who can require as much as nine to 10 hours of sleep. So the first question is, what does their nighttime sleep look like? In other words, I think napping is fine, but if you're playing video games until four o'clock in the morning, sleeping until eight, going to work, coming home and sleeping another four hours, there might be a conversation there where, hey, you're sort of sacrificing sleep and just kind of fitting it in. Like the sleep should be the priority. The video game is something maybe you fit in between the end of your classes and when you have to go to work that night kind of thing. You just got the attention of every parent that has a tween or teenager whose child is on the phone or playing video games. And here we as adults are thinking about, you know, circadian rhythms and you're talking about interruptions and possibly even developing disorders in that rhythm. Staying up all night playing video games because that's when their friends are playing. That's the toughest part right there. That's part of their social interaction. And that social interaction doesn't stop till 1.32 o'clock in the morning. 
No, absolutely. I mean, I, I think that I've always thought about teens as I remember the Apollo spaceships would get launched and they would go up around the moon. At some point, they would circle around the moon and NASA would lose communication with them for a period of time. And there's this sort of waiting, 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 and then communication is reestablished. I always think about teens as that kind of situation where you're going to lose them for a bit. Like the teen that grows up prioritizing sleep from the time he's four years old never goes through that, I think is really the exception, not the norm. I think all we can really say is, hey, look, you take a nap if you want to, but my guess is you don't feel great. And this is ultimately going to hurt you in a lot of ways. It's going to cost you a job. It's going to make you do poorly on a test. So this little arrangement you've made for yourself is not doing you any favors. So it's just about trying to plant those seeds and, and, and make sure that the napping is truly a snack and is not becoming the meal. That's well said. The napping is the snack and not the meal because a lot of kids are turning nighttime sleep into their snack because other things are taking precedent during those sleeping hours. Yet you also talk about like the production of dopamine and how important it is that dopamine in our brains has a rhythm where it is at its high points during the day and its low points at night. And yet here we have our young tweens, teens who are on their devices at night that are forcing a dopamine release. Yeah, maybe the biggest dopamine release. What what would be better than video games and social interaction with your friends and whatever else goes on? So, yeah. And, and, and your first question was, why do we care? What's the importance of sleep? What are, what are What's going on inside the body that makes that important? Dopamine is a huge part of that. And when you start to look at the individuals who are struggling the most with health-related sleep issues, it all relates to timing. Sleep is an outward expression of a circadian rhythm. Your child gets up, he looks tired, he finally seems to want to wake up around 2 in the afternoon, he's wide awake at 10 o'clock playing video games. Like, you kind of see versus grandma, who's very awake at 3 o'clock in the morning, by 6 p.m. she's ready to go to bed at night. Like, you can see this outward manifestation of the rhythm. But that rhythm is part of a huge process that's happening in the body. And when we start to disturb that rhythm, like you said, having surges of dopamine at three o'clock in the morning because of the you know tantalizing things they're looking at on their phone or with their friends, that that disturbance in timing is really where the health consequences with sleep come. They're huge. I mean, we're talking cardiovascular disease, cognitive disorder, cancer has even been linked to timing disorders of sleep. So it's a huge issue. And so, you know, having these conversations with children, teens, all the time is, is something that we need to be doing in terms of shaping their understandings about sleep. So many kids are are just attached to their phone. Like it's it's an it, it, their phone is an external organ and they can't live without it which means it goes with them everywhere they go including tibet you and i have sat and talked about not allowing kids to have their devices in their rooms particularly when they're young um, my sons will say dad this is my alarm clock and my sons are not the only ones i hear parents tell me all the time my kids excuse for their phone in the room is it's their alarm clock and i remember back in the day before there were phones we still had alarm clocks 
We did, still do. Although we have no Bed Bath and Beyond to get them at anymore, so you have to order them online. All right. So what's your what's your thoughts about devices, computers, phones in the room after bedtime? Give, give us a rundown here. Yeah, and I'll I'll say it's always hard as a sleep scientist who's also a parent to tease these things out. I I think this probably is is pretty scientifically you know, accurate. So like you said, we have a rule that everybody's phones, including parents, sleep in the kitchen. We have a little designated spot, these little cubbies with outlets in the back we had built where you've got a place for your phones. It's very easy to not only plug your phone up in the kitchen, but it's also easy to see that. So I wanted it to be sort of a formal, specific space for phones. So as the kids grew up, if my child comes down from her bedroom at three o'clock in the morning because she wants to text her boyfriend, she sees mom and dad's phone there too. I, I think your your point about parents is a big one that if you're asking your kids to have your phones in your bedroom because it's the best thing for your sleep, but yours are in your yours is in your bedroom. I I don't know how that plays. And to be real clear, it's not about the phone that's actually physically in the bedroom. The phone being in the bedroom does not change my sleep. It's my accessing the phone when I should Correct. be sleeping. And then the, yeah. the light it emits while I'm staring at that screen 18 inches from my face right before yeah. I go to sleep. Because if I understand correctly, that light in the phone disrupts my brain's interpretation of is it nighttime or not? Is Correct. it time to sleep or not? Yeah, I think it goes deeper than that, too. That even if you've got it turned off so it's not emitting any light, it's in a drawer. I think the proximity there is the problem. You hear it buzz a little bit and it's like, ooh, I wonder what that is. And and you look at it and it's junk. But now the phone's in your hand. And while the phone's in your hand, you're going to check Facebook. It's, it's just to me, it's I, I, have a, I love salty snacks, like these, these like sweet Mexican corn chips that you can get at Trader Joe's are like killing me right now. So good. But I won't go buy them. But if they're in the house, I'll eat them like crazy. So to me, all I need is a little bit of separation there. And so if I wake up and my phone is in the kitchen, I'm not getting out of bed to go deal with that. But if it's right there in my bed stand, totally quiet, totally silent, there's a very good chance I might just take a peek at a few things. So I think with kids, you've got to separate that and create times in their lives. Maybe there's other times other than bedtime where you're away from your phone. It's like you, it's becoming an appendage for a lot of kids. I talked and, to a student recently. I said, doesn't it cause you stress to have your phone in your room when it's always buzzing and beeping and alerting and coming on? And, and, and the student said, it causes me stress to not have my phone in the room. I can't sleep when my phone is in the kitchen because my parents tell me I had to, can't have it in the room. That's when I lay awake wondering what is happening yeah that is a situation that i would consider to be massively unhealthy you know i I can't sleep without it and and listen i think that we as parents need to intervene way before it gets to the point where a child feels anxiety or stress without the phone to me that's the that's the devil in the design is that it's designed to create that feeling in a child that when you're away from it, something's happening that, no, nothing's happening. So I think that that's where the, the parental guidance with the phone has to start from a very, very young age, well before they even get the phone. And a lot of that is modeling. 
Okay, parents, I want you to hear that real clearly. Our modeling of phone behavior, how we interact with the phone is being observed by our young children. And when we hand the child the phone, we're also training them that this is your pacifier, this is your distraction. And when we then carry that from the backseat of the car into the grocery store in the cart, or when we carry it into the pew at church, or when we carry it into they have to come to a meeting with us at school, we just want them to be quiet and here, take this device. We're training them that this device is their toy. It's the thing to keep them entertained. Then when we take that into the home and they're allowed to have their devices in their rooms, which I am not opposed to, but when we train them that it's okay to do that at nighttime as they're going to bed, and because we're also modeling the same behavior, maybe it's just sitting on the couch and they're seeing us do that as well, where we take it into the room and they see us with the phone in the room, we're not setting them up for success. Those habits can create addictions. So parents, if you have young kids, start modeling better behavior with your phone. If you have teenagers, tweens and teens, I do want to remind parents that is not your kid's phone. It's your phone. And I've said it before on this podcast, and you've heard me say it in conferences, and I write about it in my books, that you will never take away your child's phone. So they can't ever say, my parents took away my phone. That's not the case. You're just simply repossessing your own phone. And they don't have access to it for a little while. So let's let's get control of this device that gives our kids excess access to everything in the world and also can create bad habits and addictions. Treat it as a tool. It's not just a toy. Everybody has very specific rules for the family car that is your car. You put the gas in it, you pay for it, you maintain it. And so, yeah, you can't leave school and drive around and miss class. You can't just drive it for no reason. Like you, you can drive it to your friend's house and back, and that's the rule. And you need to be back by midnight. We have very specific rules for those things. But like you said, I think that we sometimes get very lack that. And it starts very early when it becomes an entertainment or a toy and not a tool. Yeah. Let's talk about when our kids get out of a rhythm of sleep. We're here, we're going into summertime and there's going to be some late nights and some long sleep ins. And we also a few, few months, what's the big deal? But is, is it healthy for our, our growing children, especially our tweens, teens to, you know, have two o'clock wake ups three, four days a week? Yeah, I don't think that's great. And we call that social jet lag, that idea of some days you're getting up at two in the afternoon and other days. I think it's okay for a family to sort of look at the summer and think, okay, we have schools that start very early for our tweens and teens, and they probably prefer a bit of a later schedule. So allowing them to stay up a little bit later, maybe sleep in a little bit later, I think is is fine. If that's something you've chosen to do, I think you have to be very careful of staying up until you know four in the morning and sleep until five in the afternoon, which you know, I've heard parents say that their kids are almost completely flip-flop. They're up all night and sleep all day during the summer. So this was sort of the, you know, our, our family rule was everybody does summer swim team. <laughs> so Forces you to get up in the morning. You have to love it. You don't have to be the best in the world. We just, just, it's a great way to exercise your body, be with your friends, be in the pool, have some fellowship and develop some swimming skills. And so we will have some degree of structure during the summer and not some sort of free-for-all. And as the kids got older and they had jobs, that became sort of a thing, too. Like, it was not going to be an option for you to do nothing. And sleep half the day. 
Yeah, and sleep half the day. I think that's you can have plenty of downtime and relaxing time and time with your friends and still create some structure. Take a class, get a job, volunteer somewhere. You're a capable young person. Somebody could use that energy and, and, and ability. And so let's put that to use rather than just sleeping because that, that, that can become kind of a, a, a thing for some kids. Like there's in his room sleeping all the time or on his phone. And that's, that, that's, that's where those habits that you're talking about can really take a bad turn. And there's a difference between, say, you know, kids that like to get up early, morning sparrows, and the ones that like to stay up late, you know, the night owls. Sure. And to understand that in my home, I could have kids that, that have different sleep patterns, different sleep cycles, different sleep rhythms. And I need to be, as a parent, responsive to their needs for sleep. But I do need to also, as a parent, help them create some good habits around creating patterns that allow them to get the kind of sleep they need to grow, to mature, and to also be social. Because there are, there, you know, we don't want kids sleeping all day because that's uh, antisocial behavior as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Dr. Winters, give us the, the question and the answer that you wish every parent would ask about their kid's sleep. And then the best answer you wish every parent would pay attention to about their kid's sleep. I, I think that the, the question that I would put out there is, I think we live in a culture where the biggest concern we have about sleep both personally and with our family is I hope we can get into bed and go to sleep fast. Like it's a stress for somebody. You're getting ready to go to bed and you look and you can see the light underneath your child's door is on. Like there's a fear there. Why are they still up? Oh my gosh, it's 1130 and they're still awake and you might crack the door. Hey, what are you doing? You need to get to bed or you're, so we put a lot of emphasis on falling asleep fast and falling, you know, and, and that's fine. But I think that the people that I con- I'm concerned about the most are the kids who fall asleep very quickly, who are excessively sleepy. The parent who says, my kid loves to nap and when she or he or they go to bed, they're out cold in a second. Sometimes we miss children who struggle with hypersomnia, the kids who are excessively sleepy. They come home. They take a three-hour nap after school. They do a little homework, and they're right back to sleep again. They can sleep entire weekends away. All they want to do is sleep. That that There can be issues related to the quality of a child's sleep that can be fixed, and these are the problems that I see get most ignored. If a child complains two straight nights in a row that they had trouble getting to sleep, they're probably getting an appointment in my clinic immediately. But I think we sometimes allow the kids who are excessively sleepy, like it, it doesn't, it seems disconnected, like they can sleep 17 hours and they're still complaining about how tired they are. I think those kids are, we're, we're missing them a lot. And I, I hope if you're a parent listening to this and think, yeah, I've got a 15 year old who seems a lot sleepier than she should be, that maybe that's something that, that, um, that, that we pay a little more attention to and try to bring those children to the attention of medical professionals or sleep specialists just because it can make such a difference in their lives when they figure out that they have something like narcolepsy. I'm always concerned my kid's not getting enough sleep and you're saying be careful of the kids that are getting too much sleep. Yeah, yeah. I think that the biggest thing that I try to do is create a culture where you talk about sleep. 
how did you sleep last night is is a, is a fair question. And when somebody says great or somebody says terribly, having a conversation about what that means and what it means to them, you know, because I think that's something we, we sometimes we, we put our own value on the sleep of kids. I always like to ask them what they think about it. You know, do you feel like your sleep is working to make you feel the best it can make you feel? So creating a culture where you talk about sleep with your kids around the dinner table. I mean, what else is there to talk about here? You know, so I think sleep's a fun one to talk about. You know, what, what's the thing that frustrates you most about sleep? Or do you think your pillow is comfortable? Do you find your pillow to be a comfortable one? Have you ever thought about maybe going out and shopping for a brand new pillow that's specific to your needs? Because you're using the same pillow you used when you were six years old. You're six five and way too like the little the little uh, fire truck pillow still meeting your needs so and just kind of you know engaging them in that way to try to create a sense that sleep is a modifiable variable that we can work on together to improve first time i heard you speak you uh you let the audience know that uh if you wake up at three o'clock in the morning and you're thinking just think you'll get sleepy again go back to sleep I've got some great work done between the hours of 3 and 5 a.m. I used to call it the witching hour. Now I call it the creative hour. You know, I think the secret to great sleep is being equally happy in bed, awake versus being asleep. If you can achieve that goal and sort of plant that seed in your kids, then you'll accomplish great things where you wake up, you're like, oh, goody, I'm awake instead of, some expletive, I'm awake. It's just the way you think about it is often 75% of the battle. I personally love being awake in bed at night. I, I find it to be a creative time. It's a fun time. It's like a sandbox in my mind where I'm completely undisturbed and I have nothing better to do than to think about a fun vacation or a interesting movie idea I have that will never see a, a screen anywhere in the world. <laughs> you know, whatever. Just pray. If you like to pray, pray. Think about our culture where you get into a car to go somewhere. Car is a tool to get from where I am to where I want to be. We get into bed and I think I've got to sleep. The, the purpose of this bed as a tool is till I sleep. So if I'm not sleeping, something's wrong. And in all reality is you'll, you'll sleep when you need to sleep. Exactly right. If you have good habits, if you've got good habits, set yourself up for success. When you're sleepy, you'll fall asleep. 100%. All right. Dr. Winters, thank you very much for spending time with us. And parents, again, go out and pick up yourself a copy of The Rested Child, Why Your Tired, Wired, and Irritable Child May Have a Sleep Disorder and How You Can Help. Of course, there's a lot in here about not having a sleep disorder. It's just a really great book for parents to read about raising happy, healthy kids who sleep better from crib to college. That's right. Again, thank you very much for joining us today. Really appreciate it. Look forward to seeing you at a conference coming up. Thank you very much, John. I appreciate it. Thanks again for joining me and Dr. Winter for today's discussion about raising confident, capable, and kind kids who are better rested sleepers from crib to college. To hear more from Dr. Winter on a wide range of sleep topics, check out his podcast, Sleep Unplugged. If you're enjoying and learning from this and other episodes of the Raising Them Ready podcast, be sure to get a copy of the Raising Them Ready book. It's available wherever you buy your print, digital, and audio books. There you'll also find our other best-selling life skills and personal development books and resources for tweens, teens, young adults, parents, educators, and mentors. 
To learn more about booking me as a guest speaker for your youth, parent, educator, or professional development conference, or about my consulting services, please send me a message through our social media pages, or you can email me on our website. You can find, follow, and like us on Facebook and Instagram at Raising Them Ready Podcast, and on the website at RaisingThemReady.com. Also, please follow and leave us up to a five-star review wherever you're listening to this podcast. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions about topics or guests you'd like me to bring to the Raising Them Ready podcast, I'd like to hear from you. Contact me through our social media pages or website, again, on Facebook and Instagram at Raising Them Ready Podcast and online at RaisingThemReady.com. Now, parents, go and enjoy the day knowing your child's greatness tomorrow begins with your guidance today.